1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 13. A very wonderful verse to start off this passage. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 13. For as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those for them that love him. For God hath not revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man, which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which men's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That is a powerful verse that we uh, just read together. Um, <clears throat> how utterly foolish it is for us to trust in self when it comes to spiritual matters. How absolutely foolish it is. Uh, but that's precisely what we do. I speak from personal experience. Um, even after being born again and uh, having the life of Christ living in us, so often we prefer to follow our own failed ways. Isn't that the truth? Am I talking just about myself? We pretty much are always that way. It seems to be how frustrating that must be for God. Now, even though in my mind I know, I know that God's solutions are best and I know that He has the best interest for me at heart, and I know that He knows the way that I don't know, but He knows it, even though I knew all of those things. And maybe you do too. Even though that being the case, my natural response is to defer to my own judgment. And I'm always falling flat on my face in the ditch because of it. But that's just something about us as human beings. It's very difficult. Um, at the very time that God is trying to take me to a deeper and yet a higher plane than I have ever experienced, I go my own way. And you know what? I've been chronically doing that for over 60 years. And you would think that some kind of smarts would wake me up. How are you doing? How is it going with you? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, this is the curse of religious people, and it has been the curse ever since the beginning of time. And I'm just going to give you some very obvious examples that I think you know about as well as I do. The Pharisees, very traumatized at the foot of Mount Sinai. <laughs> they had met God, and He was powerful, and they weren't. And um, he kind of shut them up, kind of closed them down. 
How do you argue against a God who can shake a mountain? You know, and thunderbolts comes out of his mouth. How do you deal with that? And he just like a child, or are they like a child, when they have a parent who is very, very, very strong and autocratic, they just went into themselves and kind of closed down. And they stayed that way, the Pharisees, all through their history. They didn't want to have to face that thundering God again. And so they, they thought, well, the way to keep from doing that is we're just going to have to do our best. And so they devised all kinds of rules and regulations. Now, the reason why I want to tell you this story, and it's just, just a little glimpse of them, is because it shows you the utter stupidity and foolishness of our ways to kind of solve these problems, these spiritual issues. Because we are grasping for things that just can't hold up. Spiritual things are what's discerned? Spiritually discerned. You can't even go into battle with these things. You can't even wrestle with them unless you are wrestling on a, with, with spiritual power. So the very idea of trying to become holy by some of our own devising is just utterly ridiculous. And so here's what the Pharisees... I just want to show you this as, the, as I say, pure stupidity of these kind of devices. They devised some tassels. Have you seen them, these Orthodox Jews? And they've got these tassels that hang down from their wrist or their, their waist. Haven't you seen those things? And as you see a, an Orthodox Jew going down the street, he's always got his fingers on these little tassels. And he's moving up and down, and there's knots on those tassels. And there are... Let me see if I can get it right here. I want to make sure I give you the right information here. There are four strands. And in each strand, there are eight threads. That's 24. Did I get that right? Eight times four is 20. 36. 32. How many think it's 32? You're right. It's three times eight is 24. Okay, 32. And so they're going up and down these little knots, and they have a little hole at the end that they got to work the knots through, you know, and they go back and forth, go count this way, and then they come back this way, and they come back this way. And what are they doing? <laughs> Dean says they're working the way to heaven. They're basically trying to protect themselves against that God on Mount Sinai by fortifying the brain with the laws. That's what came out of Mount Sinai, wasn't it? The law. And so there are some 600 plus laws in Judaism, and so they're just counting. Every time they count one, that's one law. They go through and they come back and until they end up with the 600 plus laws. And that is their attempt to become spiritual people. Do you think that works? Um... Jesus came and a spiritual person would recognize Jesus. Wouldn't you say that? That's exactly what John says in the first epistle of John. That we would recognize, you know, spiritual people. But they didn't recognize him. So all of that up and down the, the tassels and all the knots for all those years every day didn't get them where they wanted to be. That's pretty sad. But that's what happens. Um... <laughs> uh, 
Um, what we have here, the problem was not reviewing the commandments. That was okay. But the problem was in trusting that just doing that is going to change your life. And that's not going to happen. I, I could tell you about a time in my life that I tried so hard to correct a fault in my life. I knew exactly what the fault was. I didn't have to be told. I knew what I was doing wrong. And I pled and I pled and I pled for God to take that fault away from me, take that sin away from me. And, you know, days turned into weeks, weeks into months and years, and then finally decades. And I couldn't understand how come. Because my prayers were very sincere and uh, very much in need. And I used to go, because it goes way back, it goes to college days, and I would go to a week of prayers, and I would give my heart, you know, and I just couldn't figure out why this doesn't. If God doesn't come in and changes from the inside, all that stuff's not going to gain anything. Do you believe that? Our spirituality is a result of something He does, not of something we do. Now, that's not saying the part that we... We play as of no benefit, no effect. But the absolute acid test is we can't climb up a road of spirituality in our own doing. We cannot do it. Um, <clears throat> this whole thing about trying to become spiritual in our own best means is something very common with all religions. And whenever we trust in self, we have slipped from spirituality to paganism. That's the core of what it's all about. Trusting in self to find your way to get to heaven. It doesn't work. Paul, the Apostle Paul, ran up against this in Athens. And uh, these people had made a great boast of their religion. And they were really sincere. They wanted virtue and they wanted goodness. And to them, they had refined religion and it's a state of art. Boy, you know, by the way, I don't want to point fingers. But if you want state of art, there are a lot of mega churches today that have religion as a state of art. You know what I mean? And tens of thousands go to those churches. Some of them are broadcast on the air. And so you can see them on television. And, you know, I mean, they've got, you're spellbound. You're just stuck to the screen because every, every minute is just fascinating to watch. And that's what was going on in Athens. But um, a genuine religion gives... Uh, gives men the victory over themselves. And if that's not happening, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Catholics did something similar to the Jews. As I was talking about the tassels, what were you thinking about? The rosary beads. And for them, it's not reciting laws, it's prayers, isn't it? So they go through the prayers. And these are very meaningful to Catholics. In fact, if you get in the hospital, you've got to have your prayer beads because they're, they're extremely essential to them. Rehearsing prayers or rehearsing laws to keep one spiritual is shifting the focus from God to where? Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Even though that's not your intention. I'm going to take one other example and give it to you that shows you how silly these things are. The Greeks, even though they didn't have a creed and they didn't have a dogma and they had no sacred writings and therefore there was no such thing as heresy and there were no religious figures, but the Greeks had their own pursuit and that was knowledge and they worshipped that. Um, 
The only good thing in man was his mind. And to free the mind from the body became their passion. And this is how they thought they needed to pursue spirituality from their sense of what spirituality is concerned. And it is absolutely ridiculous, but see if you can identify with some of them. Perhaps one of the most outstanding groups of Greeks were the Spartans. And these were individuals that were fierce warriors. You can take one Spartan soldier and he can hold off just a squad of people. And they just keep coming all day and he would just keep going. No matter how he was hurt, no matter how he was damaged, he'd fight to the death. And they had done this because they had made warfare and politics their religion. And this is how they did it. They took children as soon as they were born. And they took them away from their mother. And they were put into control of soldiers. And soldiers took these little baby infants not to their mothers to be nursed, but to a team of wet nurses. So there could be no attachment. The attachment had to be to the state. The attachment had to be to protect the state. Now you're getting into a cult. Right? And so these guys, uh, both women and men, were raised to give everything to the state. The value of the state. And, and they looked upon that as a very spiritual enterprise. But it left them unbelievably empty inside. They had no moral power and they certainly had no love. They were devoid of it entirely. Hmm. So, that was what the Greeks did. Um, can you think of a kingdom or a nation in modern history that tried to do a little of that? Good. Have you ever looked at the royal family of Britain? You know, uh, you find a little bit of that going on there. And that's not that far back. Where people are totally empty on the inside, but professing. I mean, Queen of England is the head of the church there. False religions always run into the ditch because there is no hope you can find in man for solutions. Um, only God can make those things happen. Well, have SDAs. How have we stood out on this? Seventh-day Adventists. And you know the classic story happened over 100 years ago in 1888 in a place called Minneapolis. And where you have the religious leaders of the church had gathered from all over the world at that time. And the world wasn't that big for the church at that time. But you have the religious leaders gathering together in Minneapolis. Would you ask those religious leaders if they were spiritual, what do you think they would say? Would they get angry with you if you challenge that? Already they're in a ditch. Right? Doesn't the presence of anger display that there's something missing on spirituality? They were so angry with each other that when two young ministers came from the West Coast to talk about the most heretical thought that Christ is our righteousness, they became so angry that these spiritual people would even cross the street to walk on the other side of the street rather than pass by somebody who would hold on to such a heretical thought. 
Is that so strange in churches today? By the way, is it strange in Adventism? It happens today in Adventism too, doesn't it? All the time. Pretty much all the time. And so this journey and this desire towards spirituality, you know, has a lot of wrong turns and people are always going on those wrong turns. And as I started the sermon, I'm a classic example of that. We do those kind of things. We go the wrong direction. All the while believing that we are spiritual and all the while hoping that even our shortcomings, that God will somehow make up for it in the end and we will somehow miraculously become spiritual people. If the church was spiritual, what would the church be like? <laughs> okay, a lot of people would come. Because I do believe you're right. I think the world is hungering for spirituality today. Really hungry. What else would it be like? The first thing you're saying is loving? I think you're right. Certainly not like what happened in 1888 in Minneapolis, right? So spiritual people are able to love their... And it's genuine. And it's genuine because it doesn't come out of determination, you know, or that kind of stuff, or fear. It's come out of the fact that God, through His Spirit, has given them something that is beyond this world. And it's just as startling to them as it is to everybody that sees it, how different they have become. Spirituality just changes everything. Yeah. So spirituality is, is I think, it is the issue that God is going to bring upon this world as a mighty light and a great power. And it's going to come into the lives of people because God's just going to put it into our hearts. And I'm seeing more of that happening. I mentioned about the Bible study on Friday night. And sometimes the folks share a little bit about their story. And the things that I'm hearing, you've heard me talk about this before, but what I'm hearing is more and more people are telling me stories out of their own lives, how God is taking them to a place that they have never been before. And he is causing them to feel and to act and to think in ways that are totally different than anything they've ever dreamed or thought of before. And that's proof enough that it didn't come out of themselves. It comes from God. And they are startled by the outcome. And so I think spirituality, at its very core, has to be understood that it's not something that comes about as a result of anything that we do. However, I do want to say this. That doesn't mean that we should be reckless or have disregard for the reading of the Bible. You know, we should read the Bible or be disregarding our need for prayer or doing the things that actually help to draw us closer to Jesus. We have to continue to do those things, but the power to become spiritual is something that God gives to us just as a free gift. He just empowers us. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
It's not something that we arrive at by our labor because it is so different. It needs a transformation. It needs a total change. Um, I always like those passages that talk about the born-again experience, new thoughts, new ideals, new emotions, new feelings, new aspirations, new impulses. All of those things God gives us when we're born again. But to become spiritual, every step we make has to be another gift. Right now, God's teaching me how to be more selfless. (laughs) So, he's got a lot of work to do. I want you to take a look now at the author of this passage that that Dean read to us this morning out of 1 Corinthians. And um, I want you to think with me about him. You can turn to that, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But I want to ask you some questions about Saul first before we do that. Um, In the beginning, did Saul trust in God or did he trust in himself when you first hear about him in the Bible? Yeah. He was trusting in himself. And if you're jotting down texts, you may want to jot these down and look at them when you go home, but we don't have to look at them now. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, he says, If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. I could outdo the best of them, Paul says. Okay, circumcised on the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law. Ah, I'm a Pharisee. (laughs) You know, that's the way he responds. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is the law, I was blameless. He was doing all the right things according to religion of his day, and he was spiritually bankrupt. Next he says in Acts chapter 26 verse 5, After the most most straightest sect of of the religion, I lived a Pharisee. So he's saying, I was the straight arrow. In Acts chapter 22 verses 3 and 4, I am verily a man which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God, and ye, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way, that's the church, unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Was he spiritual? He thought he was doing the right thing. In Galatians chapter 1, 13 and 14, For ye have heard of my conversion, the times past, in the Jewish religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jewish religion above many of my equals, my own nation, being more zealous of the traditions of my fathers. And then finally, Acts chapter 26, 9 to 11 is the final things that he says about his zealousness. And so he really did things uh, powerfully, enthusiastically. He would have probably been the first elder of the church. By the way, this is sad to say, it's hard for me to say, do you elect your religious leaders according to their spirituality or their zeal? Well, Saul says, therefore, I was well qualified to be the religious leader. Hmm. Okay. 
Then he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And now listen to the difference. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's look at it together. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with what? What? Superiority of speech or of wisdom. So the change between this excellent orator, this powerful lawyer, this zealot, who would have probably got an A in all the religion classes, maybe even outshined the professor, suddenly all of those things no longer count. It's not wisdom that counts. It's not speech that counts. But he says, what counts is proclaiming the testimony of God, talking about God. Something happened in that encounter that just shut that man down and turned him around. And I determined to know nothing among you except whom? Spiritual people have this hunger for Jesus that just can't get satiated. I mean, the Lord does satisfy, but their, their hunger is just, it's, it's a well that just, it's just, they just amazing. They just want the Lord all the time. And as I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, I've only met a few people like this. And I told you once about one of them. It was a strange experience. Richard Wormbrandt came to uh, Pacific Union College when I was still a student, student there. And he was a, um, a preacher, not an Adventist preacher, in, in communist country. And he had spent half of his life behind bars. Half of his life not seeing the light of day. Persecuted, all kinds of things happened to this man. And he was such a spiritual man. And when he came to PUC, um, he was invited to go to a house where I was at, because I was on the committee that was involved in all this process. And um, what he did, when he walked in the room, and he walked by me, I just had this feeling of awe. Spiritual people are powerful people. They know answers that we don't even have any idea of. They can go to the point of a question so quickly. They read minds. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? That's exactly what Jesus was able to do. Why do you think Jesus was able to do all that? And there was someone there that was commissioned to bring spirituality. And who was that? The Holy Ghost. Yeah. Pardon me? Oh, Holy Spirit was still there. Yeah, and, and God the Father. God the Father. But what, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that God has provided the source. And He has promised to us without any limitations, beyond limitations. And that means for you. You know? No limitations in you. You know, and for all of us, no limitations whatsoever. He wants us to have these things. But this proud Pharisee, Saul, had to die and become weak and trembling so he could hear. That powerful thundering God on Mount Sinai 
had to be put out of his mind and he had to think that God is on his side and for him. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then verse 3. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom but in the demonstration of what? Spirit and power. There was a time that Tom will remember and some of the rest of you will right here in this church. I'll never forget it. I was right there in that tank. And for years the Holy Spirit was kept at bay in this church. Not allowed to come in because there were too many Pharisees. <laughs> it was difficult. It was very difficult. And that's not unusual for churches. It's not unusual for Adventist churches. You know, we know a whole lot. We know a whole lot. And we can be very intimidating in our knowledge. And, and, and I remember in that baptismal tank, and when I made the call, year after year after year, young people had just been pushed out, weren't allowed access into the church. It was like a barrier. They couldn't get through. And I'd come back. I'd already moved away. I'd come back for a baptism. And the Holy Spirit came into this room that night. And I don't remember how many, but I remember the experience of when I made the call some had already made a decision they were going to be baptized. We had a few ready. You were among them. And um, when the call went out, people started popping up all over the place. And I don't remember how many were baptized, but there were a lot. And that was not the most significant thing that happened that night. It was a Saturday night. The most significant thing that happened, for those of you, was the awesome experience of feeling the Spirit of God moving powerfully. An experience you never forget. That's what the church is needing. If we're going to be spiritual, which is the ability to have something to offer rather than just all pretense, you know, having something real to offer, which is beyond our, us, it's God, then we have to be selfless just like Paul is talking about here. Yet we do not speak in the wisdom among those who are mature in wisdom, however not of this age, nor the rulers of, the, uh, of this age who are passing away. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the age to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the thing that God hath prepared for those that love him. And it's available today. Today, earlier, in our announcement time, or in our, our uh, what's that called when we talk about and pray? Praise, Praise time. time. Yeah, in that, in that time, we are hearing about how God is moving mightily around the world. So I think he's really ready to send out his spirit now, powerfully. And we will not be able to receive it until we die. The person that is the most humble in the church is probably the one most likely to get it. 
That's really important for us to remember. This is a mystery. We do not get it on our own. Um, But God hath revealed to them that to us by his spirit in verse 10. For the spirit searches all the things, even the deep things of God. For who among men know the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God knows no one except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. In our Bible study on Friday night, we're studying First Epistle of John. And John is so strong on this. He is saying over and over again, Now, you have this experience, he says to the church. You have it now. You have no need for anyone to teach you. The Holy Spirit is teaching you. You know, you've, and John had this amazing ability to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and working in our hearts. And that's what I'm saying today. This is what it's all about. Look what it says in verse 16 of chapter 2. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. It's ours. It's given to us. Well, let me continue on here. I'm going to skip over some things. There are several things. If you want to read more about this, you may want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and on. But what I'm going to look at now, I want to take you to the book of Ephesians. Because Paul talks a lot about this. So follow with me to the book of Ephesians. Um, And there are some powerful statements there as well. Ephesians chapter 3, and we, uh, verse 1, it starts there. Listen to how Paul describes himself after he has been born again. Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm increasingly aware of the fact that I've lost my liberties. (laughs) I'm aware of that. You know, I can no longer take care of myself by myself. I'm not a free man. I am a victim. I'm a victim of life. I'm a victim of myself. I'm a victim all the way around. Might as well get used to it. I'm a prisoner. Prisoner of Christ. I've got to be a prisoner of Christ. I have choice. I choose to be a prisoner of Christ. I like being a prisoner of Christ. I enjoy that. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which is given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which for generations has been hidden. God in the last days is going to have a people, and they probably are some in this room right here, who will have such clarity of thought and direction that when they speak, Something will happen in the ears of everybody that hears. They will recognize that this information came from God. And it's going directly through them to other people. It's a marvelous thing. That's what spirituality is doing. It's a mystery that's now becoming clear. And that's where God is taking us. And the reason why I say this today is I want as many here, if not all. How wonderful it would be if all, right? 
can follow the example of Paul and become so weak and so feeble and so much a prisoner of Christ by our intention, our choice to let him do that to us. And then we just have to wait. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit comes and such amazing things happen. Look at down here. Um, he says several things. He talks in verse 8 about the unsearchable riches of Christ and they're made known, verse 5, by the Holy Spirit. And um, he talks about uh, strengthened with might by His Spirit in verse 16, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, verse 17, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and know the love of Christ with passes knowledge that you might be filled to the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above and all that we think or ask, according to the power that worketh in us. Well, these are the things that God is able to do uh, to us if indeed his Holy Spirit is able to have access to us. I like um, this statement in John chapter 6. John is fabulous on this. And what it boils down to is this. John chapter 6, verses 53 and onward. This is our closing. Um, Jesus said some phenomenal things. And uh, verse 53 of chapter 6. This was so hard that many of those who were following him turned away. It was just too difficult for them to accept. But sometimes that's the way it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink of His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last days. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. We are just living off of Jesus, completely and totally. And everything is going to be different. Our attitudes will be different. Our behavior will be different. Our feelings will be different. Everything will be different because of that. And you can continue to read right on down uh, through this. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And it is difficult. How do we become spiritual people? For Adventists, I want to tell you something. And this is a hard thing for us because we don't know how to sort this stuff through. It's not by keeping the law. Now don't say that that means we don't keep the law. But we must understand that becoming spiritual is not the result of keeping the law. Spirituality comes as a gift from Jesus Christ into our lives. Keeping the law will probably have the same effect upon you that it had upon me. I wasn't able to keep it. I tried my very best. I couldn't keep it. Now sometimes we think we can keep the letter of the law. Try to keep the spirit of the law. That's pretty hard. And I fall on my face over and over again. And when in the midst of my depression 
I felt totally broken and wasted. Jesus came and visited me and he changed my heart that day. Not before. That day. That's how it happens. It's not by the law. It's not by ritual. It's not by the things that we do. It is the Spirit of God on its own timing, probably at the time when we are finally giving up on self, that the change comes. Because then we're not going to resist it. Then we might recognize it. Two can't become one when there's still two, can they? Is that possible? That's a bang, bang, bang? Yeah. So he's got to, if, if he was going to make oneness out of us, something's got to happen with that self of ours. And Paul realized on the road to Damascus, that had to go. And that's what Jesus did. 20 years, I thought he was just ignoring me. But he finally broke me. That's how proud I was. Stubborn. And he finally changed me. Praise the Lord. Only the Holy Spirit can make us spiritual beings. Spirituality is what the world is looking for. It's the only thing that will make everything happen. If spirituality doesn't come to this church soon, in this denomination soon, we're not going to be able to continue to fund our schools. (laughs) If spirituality does not come to this church pretty soon, we're going to have pastors who have ten churches in their districts because we won't be able to do hardly anything. If spirituality doesn't come to this church pretty soon, all of us are going to be an unbelievable mess in our own personal lives, and our own personal finances. We only see the beginning of troubles. Spirituality is what the world has to see and the Lord has to come. Spirituality has to precede that. Now may God help us to die to self and realize that's the only place that we can be where spirituality can come in.